0: Hello and welcome back to the Russian Football News Podcast. We come back after a little bit of a a break for ourselves, having a a week off, some scheduling conflicts, working overtime, getting in the way, and, and then, unfortunately, there not being a great deal to talk about, and we thought, well, wait. Now until we get towards the horizon of the return of the RPL games with the, all of the different international fixtures under, under our wing to discuss. To quickly go first into those international games, uh, we, we're going to be discussing Russia first team, the under-21s, and as a little extra, a little surprise extra, the under-19s this week. To start off, the senior side went uh, beat Cyprus 6-0 in their penultimate World Cup qualifying game. Goals from Alexander Yurokin, Smolov, Mostovoy, Sutomin, Zabolotny then a final one from Yurokin finishing and starting the scoring. And then the travel to Split for the big group deciding game, the winner of which between Croatia and Russia of course, would automatically qualify for the World Cup in Qatar next year, while the loser would take second place and have to fight off in the playoffs. Russia did lose that one 1-0 in the end and we'll skip over Cyprus a little bit and we'll jump straight into that Croatia game and afterwards on social media and Russian football echo chambers and the media in general in in Russia, sporting media in Russia had Kind of reacted to the defeat very badly Um, Of course, accepting that while Croatia are a superior side uh, Many of the complaints stemmed around the fact that a lot of their side is ageing And that Russia, had they been more adventurous been less defensive, as we'll get into in a second Would have got something from the game As it turns out Russia lost 1-0 thanks to a late Fyodor Kudryashov on goal in the 81st minute. And what they mean by that, these discrepancies and these issues are Croatia had 90, uh, 68% possession, 19 shots on goal, including 5 on target, and basically dominated every metric in the game. Russia had only 30% possession and just 2 shots throughout the entire match, which were both off target. Now, David, what do you think about this reaction after the... The defeat and
1: split. Um, I'm sort of on on the opposing side on on pretty much every aspect of it, including <laughs> the lineup. Um, I'm actually going to defend Carpin's choice of lineup in the circumstances. I'm surprised. So Carpin obviously lined up with Kudryashov and Yonov. Those two were two that attracted uh, criticism for being part of the old guard when there's a lot of good younger players around. Uh, normally, I might be agreeing with him, but i, I, I back him up on both decisions. So Kudryashov played left-back. His only other competition for left-back in the squad was Terikov. Now, Terikov's a left-wing back who works only essentially in five at the back formation. They, Russia played four at the back for um, the start of the game and adapted to a five after about an hour. Uh, And Teregov loves to get forward. And it just... uh, Out of those two players, Kudryashov was definitely the right call, regardless of his own goal, which was... We'll come back to that later. Um, Yonov, I can also sort of get behind playing him. You know, Um, he's an experienced player. He has experience playing in a defensive role. He's a real workhorse. And instead of playing someone like... Chuk or Zemlodinov, who maybe don't have quite the work ethic, neither of them um, even came off the bench in that game when Russia did push for an attack uh, when they had to push for an equalizer late on. Um, you know, he gave, he played Yonov, and I wasn't upset with that decision because I knew Yonov was was going to put in the effort and and do what he had to do. Mm-hmm. Um, and on the pitch, you know, the as the game played out, obviously it was. Pure and utter um, domination, possession-wise, from Croatia. But Russia defended extremely well um, throughout the majority of the game. Uh, if not for the for the own goal, I think they would have made it to to a 0 nil draw. Um, they they really had frustrated Croatia, uh, combined with the, <laughs> the conditions of the pitch, which I'll also come to. The first half it was it was predominantly just crosses. I mean, even for the whole game, that was all Russia were, were limiting Croatia to was pot shots from the edge of the box or, or further and crosses. And I can only think of one particularly dangerous cross where Russia struggled to deal with it was just flashed across the six-yard box. The rest, Jikia and Dveev, both of them had fantastic games. Dveev in particular was was really good. Just, just got everything out of the box. They, they rose and met every header. They met every cross, uh, and Russia were defending really well, and they were executing the game plan. Granted, not a pretty game plan by any means, but they were executing that, executing that game plan really well. Um, obviously, um, there was torrential rain throughout. As they came out for the second half, the ball was standing was getting stuck in the pitch as it was being played along the surface. That forced Croatia to abandon any hope of playing through the defence and had to go even more towards crosses. And That, that was another huge benefit for Russia um, because with players like Modric, Modric actually, whenever he got the ball, took to not passing along the floor, but just slightly lofting, like dinking it. Even for short like three-yard passes, he would not roll it across the floor. He would just dink it. Um, so it was the pitch was really getting to them. Actually a great example was immediately as the second half started, um, I, one of the Russian midfielders played a ball across the center of the field and it just stuck in the center of the pitch, Croatian attacker ran onto it and had a pot shot from I don't know, 25 yards or so. And it went, went wide with some pressure, but, uh, immediately from then you, you knew that the pitch was going to play a factor, whether for good or for bad. Um, yeah, so Russia then went to five at the back. They brought Chistyuk on, stuck him in in defence as well. Uh, and then not long after Russia made their fifth substitution, they brought on Mostovoy for Bakayev, who was just dead on dead on his legs, but putting a good effort, and replacing with Mostovoy to do some running. Um, they they did their final sub, and Kudryashov uh, went for a ball and. I noticed it in the live footage, but I don't know many people did. Um, after he after the ball gone out of play, he was feeling his hamstring, and you could tell immediately that he he wasn't comfortable with it. And there's a really good bit of footage from uh, Tim Jurovich who was behind the goal filming, and he it very obviously spots him and makes a comment about it. Thirty seconds later, the ball goes off to the left wing, comes into the box, Kudryashov runs into from his wide position to uh, challenge a Croatian attacker uh, who eventually actually doesn't even challenge for the ball because it comes across two Russian heads both of whom the ball is slightly too high Um, Kudrasov's then running into the box for technically no reason because there's no danger uh, sees the ball late it it basically just hits him on the knee he has no time to react to that Uh, combined with that knock, his injury, whatever he had and it just squirms into the bottom corner. And it was such harsh luck on Russia from that. You know, they, they didn't deserve it. They they defended really well. Granted, you know, Croatia were a better team. But um, I was thinking at the time, you know, when, when an underdog wins a football match and someone says, oh, they didn't deserve that win, you know. If they've won a game, they've deserved it. They've done something right in that match to, to deserve it. Even if it's luck, they've done something to force the luck. Um, so Croatia, you know, they did deserve it in terms of they dominated and they put the balls into the box. But but Russia were particularly unfortunate in the fact that they had, for 81 minutes, done exactly what they needed to do. And I thought, we're going to see the game out fine. And if they'd done it, there would be no one caring that they'd done it that way. The, the Russian media would not be caring one little bit. Um, yeah. And because of this one bit of bad luck that they had, People forget that safanov had an incredible game as well, Deveev had a game, um, and they just focus on the fact that they lost to an own goal, and now they've, you know, we, we all know they've got to go to the qualifiers, so it'll be tough. But uh, I, I do think there was an overreaction,
0: and I realise now I've been talking for, like, eight minutes, so I'm <laughs> going to stop. I think the overreaction, oh, it's it's important to get into the reaction and potential overreaction, because even Valery Karpin himself has actually addressed it. Uh, after the game, uh, he said that Karpin himself, sorry, said that he was thinking about leaving, basically thinking about stepping down as boss uh, of the national team. Uh, the sporting director of the RFU, Andrei, Andrei Leksakov, reacted uh, and he said that my opinion is to support him, that's all I can say Could Carpenter leave before the playoffs? No comment and that was um, quoted from Sport Express uh, There's been quite a few discussing it basically in, in the wake of this and I'm not quite sure to be honest if, oh well I, I, I think my opinion anyway not not knowing but my opinion is that Carpenter has seen this and what he said is in reaction to rather than the reaction being because of what he said. Um, will he leave? I personally don't think so. I don't think the RFU will allow it. Uh, he's done all right. He's done fine. I mean, look, the, they've took four point, uh, one point from Croatia. The, the Drew at home, that's decent. That that result away is very difficult against the calibre of player that they have. Yes, Croatia are on a downward slide, in the longer term, they have an ageing squad and need to replace a lot of those ageing players. But people like Luka Modric are still the class above. Vlasic was poor on the night, but he'd walk into into the Russian side, and the majority of the Croatia squad would do that. I understand that people are annoyed after being so close to getting it and only having that one point, but you don't look at the Croatia loss Look maybe more so at the Slovakia loss under Stani back in March. Away from home again, difficult game. But if if you're taking that game in isolation, that was a very poor performance where Robert MacDouble double is essentially what has caused Russia to go through the, uh, t- try and take the playoff route.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: I understand people's criticisms re- regarding Kudryashov, regarding Yonov. Yonov only completed five passes in 60 minutes on the pitch. It's absolutely dreadful. But the the approach. Uh, I understand why people have got have got issues with them starting, but I, I do also agree like, with what you, what you said, David. There's where are the feasible alternatives? I mean, in that in that exact squad right there, um, yeah. The worry is that there are feasible alternatives who weren't called up. But if you look at the squad in isolation, then uh, it's Kudryashov and nothing really. Yeah, I
1: expect like, if Samoshnikov was was fit, he
0: would have started that game, but he yeah. wasn't, and so he he did what he needed to. Uh, certainly, um, what doesn't help is that you've got people like Andrei Cherovchenko in the press saying that. Um, for those who may not know, he's a former president of Spartak, um, legend in the game, and that he said that it's a the chances of qualification are a series of American films, Mission Impossible he's obviously saying that and has been taken a little bit out of context there. But then he goes on to say, of all the teams who we could compete overcoming this cowardice, we can still defeat North Macedonia, Scotland or Wales, but you can forget about the rest. Now, I do agree to an extent there are some very difficult games that Russia will be, could potentially be facing in in the playoffs. Um, to quickly cover them, where are they? Sorry, off.
1: Lost. <laughs> Just to chip in. Like since Karpin took over, Russia have conceded twice. The second one being that, that own goal. Uh, yeah. they've they've had a very good record. You know, the other goal was uh, against Slovenia in the two-one win. Granted, they've not played the best of teams, mm. um, but they've done exactly. Yeah, you can only play do. who
0: you have to play on the pitch. Yeah. Like, and they've, and they've, I agree, they have and done I agree.
1: quite well. Yeah, and I agree. The Slovakia game, you look back on. That was, that was the one. You know, Carfin's first game against Croatia was a nil 0 at home. It was a, it was a, a good performance where it was slightly more adventurous on the day, um, but you know, they, it was a result that on the night you would take considering who the opponent was, mm-hmm. um, and the big mistake had been losing to Slovakia early in the, in the group.
0: Yeah, and. Uh... They've won seven out of the ten games. Granted, most of them they should be winning. It's not the Croatia loss, like I said earlier, like it's just that it's not the Croatia loss that's caused the problem. Um, thank you for filling in because I've quickly found that list. But the potential yep. players are uh, the potential teams, the list of rivals would be Scotland, Czech Republic, Sweden, Austria, North Macedonia, Poland, Portugal, Wales, Italy, and Turkey. Now, Ukraine, of course, as well, but. Russia and Ukraine are not allowed to play each other due to the aggravated socio-political situation right now. And these playoffs are going to be held in March. Russia are
1: seeded, though. Well, initially, they'll have one of the weaker teams. And obviously, you look at the list, and North Macedonia is in on paper the one that you would fancy. Uh, But even if they do that, they're going to have to come back and presumably play one of the, you know, because out of those twelve teams, only three are going to the World Cup. And you look at the list and you think, well, Portugal and Italy are probably favourites to be two of them. Mm-hmm. And there is no bad shout of saying that Sweden could be the third, Poland while well unseeded, Wales. You can't ignore Scotland and the fact they they beat Denmark and ended their unbeaten record recently. You no, know, it's going to be incredibly
0: difficult to
1: to get through these playoffs
0: yeah certainly and this this it's, it, it, they've changed the playoffs as well for those who might not know it, it was previously like a one match shootout shootout sort of playoff thing but now it's oh it's two stages it's a semi-finals of the playoffs and a finals of the playoffs which then gets you through to the world cup finals um the winners of the six semi-finals will compete in the final for the three remaining tickets to qatar both the semi-finals and the finals are one-legged affairs, so it is a different format to usual. Um, so it's going to be very difficult. But l- some of the teams, if they get a good, if they get a good draw, and like you said, David, they mm. are seeded. It is eminently doable. Some of them think, are yeah. no more hot, ha- no more harder than Croatia. Some are far easier. The issue, obviously, is that the surprise result of Swiss- Italy, and Portugal not winning their yeah. groups to finisher behind Serbia and Switzerland.
1: It's all going to depend on the draw there, but I believe as a team Russia will play their semi-final at home, I don't know what will happen regarding the finals and where they'll be played. So, you know, if, if Russia can get past, you know, a North Macedonia or an Austria or a Turkey, whoever, you know, one of those three are the ones you'd sort of eye up. Then, you know, we'll see how we get on. Maybe uh, maybe they can do it. Maybe we get a favourable draw and Potentially end up playing Sweden or Wales for a place in the in the World Cup.
0: Yeah. Now to segue kind of between the first team and the under twenty ones, uh, the head coach of Spartak two, Yevgeny Bushmanov, has mentioned that um, which players was it? It was uh, Danny Krusevich, Konstantin Tikarvin Damaj and Naila Myarov are all ready to make the step from the under-21s to the national side. So, David, before going on to the under-21s, do you think that these four players could make an impact and potentially help some of these selection issues that people complain about? Um, I mean, Russia are fairly stacked midfield,
1: but I am surprised that umyarov not had a call-up over players like Mukhin yeah. or Maradishvili or Chernikov I think in the last squad, those guys were named uh, and Amirov wasn't pure. I think he was injured this time, Amirov. I know he's just come not long come back from injury.
0: Yeah, um, yeah, he's just came back. But he,
1: it's going to be interesting to see what they want to do, because obviously last time around, they, they kept the the group together. Um, and Amirov is captain of the Under-21s, but we've seen Chikov being called up from the Under-21s, Agalarov, Chernikov, Maradishvili. They've all been called to the senior squad at one point, so... Uh, I don't disagree about bringing him in. Uh, Tukavin. I mean, there's a lot of strikers. He's he's called up Segev, Tukavin and Agarov in recent months. And only Tukavin has played out of those three for the senior team. Mm-hmm. Um, if he's not going to call up Zuba, which is not looking likely, mm-hmm. um, you know, Zabalov came on against Croatia to replace Smolov. And... Uh, I don't even know how to describe it. He, did, he didn't do badly, but he also didn't do okay. Um, he It would just be that I suppose it would be nice. Obviously, it's a, it's a weird situation to be in. And the playoffs okay. are so important that the squad has to be right. And I think Zubish yeah. needs to be in those playoff squads if Zuba's willing to... To still be playing for the national team because he is that even if you're not going to start him he's that joker in the pocket that russia mm-hmm. could chuck on and and just use as a leverage point to, to try and go for a goal
0: even off yeah. the pitch he's a highly influential figure behind mm. the scenes yeah this is what Zenit's captain has been for a long time for all intents and purposes and he's that is a squad that relies heavily on on that core of Zenit players look like at the cyprus game when Five out of the six goals, I think, came through Zenit. Yeah, it's going to take just someone's ego being massaged slightly again and trying to get over this hump because, like I say, he's influential off the pitch and currently he's still influential on the pitch. I agree, Zabalotmi was fine when he came on. Uh, He did a job of a very isolated target man in a very defensive system, but that's all he did. Zuba still offers that X factor or whatever the term is, that even if it's just... His pure strength and physicality of being able to sheer dominate an opponent. He's absolutely brilliant at that. Um, and this isn't the first time, is it, with where managers have fallen out Mm. with with Zuba in particular.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I mean I was just thinking that, you know, Churchov managed to patch things up between him and Zuba and Sobolev for the greater good when they were called up together. You know, we should be able to get Karpin and Zuba to forget their differences, whatever they may be, and uh you know, get get Zuba in that squad for the playoffs. Um, you know, it, for me Zavolotni should not be in the squad, it should be Zuba, Smolov. And then take your pick of who's who's on form for a third, you know, Aguilarov, Segeev, whoever it is, he's probably not gonna play anyway because Carbin hasn't been playing the third choice striker very often. But yeah, I yeah.
0: think Zuba will be so which would be key. One person I would oh, like no, to no. see though, and I, I do agree with with him they're... here, is that I would like to see Agalarov given a proper chance. Uh, it's not exactly a controversial pick, but I've there's an excellent web uh, article on Register, and it's going into depth of Agalarov's numbers this year. Um, last season, after 14 rounds in the RPL, Agalarov had played only 105 minutes, had zero goals and assists. Yep. And had an xG of zero point three three. After Rakimov's arrival at the side, he then even wasn't involved on the bench. Never mind uh, being kept on the bench. Now this season, (laughs) it's quite brilliant. uh, According to Understat, he's scored. He's got thirty shots in the RPL with an xG value of four point one, scoring nine goals. So he's not a real hitter from any position, they claim. Only two games a season, he's got a shot on goal more than three times. But perhaps if they, they they basically paraphrasing their analysis is that if perhaps Ufa had more possession, Agalarov would have more chances. So it shows 11. Yeah, this is, uh, I must admit, this is from a, a little while ago. But um... mm. And that's even outdated because he's got 11 now.
1: Yeah, I, I, hmm. I remember reading recently I thought that, that he'd had 11 goals from the shots was like 27. So slightly different numbers. But that's, it's just outrageous. Um, the the thing that I remember Carpenter talking about was that he you know, he puts himself about, goes for a lot of challenges. He's a good hard runner, good positioning. Uh, he scored for the other 21s uh, in, in the break. But Aguilar himself, says that his worst aspect is his his dribbling. And I think the a call. I, I read an article, probably the same one, talking about how he's he's got like four completed dribbles this season or something. You know, that's that's not his style. He's he's an off the ball striker and he will be in the position when there's a chance to Yeah. To it,
0: score it's it. so it's so rare a that a striker scores a lot of chances if this many yeah, goals be, in yeah, this part of the competition. Obviously we've been Tret well of that in, in recent years with has and Zuba's form, but also that of Shomorodov and Sobolev. But what they, what I like what they compare is Aguilarov's bare statistics and showing how good a finisher he is. It's especially being at Ufa. Someone scoring double figures in a side like Ufa, who spend the majority of the t- time in the defence, have got the lowest possession stats, the lowest uh, opposition territorial stats in the entire league. Shows that this man's a little bit showing something a little bit different right now, whether or not it is pure red hot form. We'll see, and it will be interesting to see what you can if you can pick that back up in three months' time after the winter break, because that's the hardest part of of being a striker. Shomorodov didn't do that. Mm. Sobolev barely did it. It's that's what has set Azmoun and Zuba's record yeah. apart, that class, and what Smolov did for those years. So uh, it'll be interesting to see if he can keep it up. But just quickly. I'll... Yeah. <laughs> I mean, he scored. I mean, Ural, he's got
1: five goals this season. And has scored 11.
0: So he scored more than Ural on his own. And the same amount of 79%. And he scored, he's scored 14. Of goals. That's the it's most Ural statistic in the world. Times. That any single player scored yeah, more he's, goals he's than exactly them so far important. in the season. Uh, speaking of the under 21s uh, they beat slovakia 3-0 <laughs> and spain 1-0 in a surprising <laughs> but potentially well deserved result
1: yeah really really well deserved um uh, slovakia was comfortable they're both home fixtures so they both played it in the in the cold uh, the Slovakia game was, say, was a was a comfortable result. Um, went one nil no up uh, early through Fusicic, and then second goal from Agalarov. Really nice goal that one. Um Yarov with an absolute peach of a ball, pinged it from must have been a good 30-40 yard pass to Maradishvili, who was free in the box, who nodded it back across goal from for, for Agalarov to just head into an empty net. It was uh, the ball from Yarov was fantastic. And then uh, a nice assist for from Tuchavan in the second half to for uh, Sulaimano to, to score the third. So that was simple. Uh, but then the Spain game was. I was worried about that one because they'd lost four one to Spain uh, in Spain in the first round of fixtures. But um, and I know Spain squad has lost a couple of players. So back then they had Jeremy Pino in the squad uh, amongst a few others. And I noticed the squad this time wasn't quite as strong. But um, Russia absolutely dominated uh, the proceedings, really. Uh, not possession wise Possession was about 50-50. But Russia had 19 shots, and Spain had, like, uh, six, of only of which one was on target, whereas Russia had 12 on target or something like that. Uh, they were really excellent. They, they pressed unbelievably well, particularly in the second half. They, they came up very, very strongly in the second half. The Mirav was... Was unbelievably good, and they should have. By the time they did score in the 60th minute through Tukhovin, it was like he'd only been on the pitch about two minutes uh, when he when he scored his goal, uh, a really well taken goal from just outside the box. Uh, but in the in the five minutes preceding that, Klusevich um, missed a one on one, absolute sitter, uh, and Agalarov just before he'd been taken off had lobbed the keeper, having gone through on goal and hit the crossbar. So they, they really should have been 3-0 up by, by the by the hour mark uh, when they did finally score. Um, and they had more chances after that um, and really kept Spain at bay. Uh, Spain had really very little. Uh, Russia went a bit defensive in the last 10 minutes, and it got a bit maybe slightly edgy, um, but there was nothing hugely clear cut, and it was a really well-deserved um, win. I think Spain is still top on the, on the head-to-head record. Um, so Russia comfortably second in there uh, in the second qualifying spot, which I think I presume goes to some sort of playoff. But they they got a chance now to maybe overtake Spain if if Spain go and drop points to one of the other weak sides in the in the group. But uh, a really good performance uh, against Spain, you know that was that was that was something really good, really special. Um, and Yarov just underlined why he should be. You know, in the senior squad and how good he's been for Spartak, sort of even over ever since Tedesco took charge he's just been pretty much very good for Spartak and that's over like a two year, two year period, I don't know what you, your thoughts are He's been probably Spartak one of the best players yourself. during
0: if not ooh, the this season, the best and what's a topsy-turvy season but was also one of the best last year when they were arguably overperforming the quality of the squad and that's not easy for a young player to do to to shine especially when you have the hype around Kral, deservedly in times and when you have the hype around the signing of promise goal scorers on the side uh center backs who were adored and he's been absolutely outstanding held his own more than more than some of the youngsters who've came into the Spartak team and crumbled and yeah. nothing against those youngsters some of which have really struggled. Um, Ruskasov not really a youngster anymore, but a young academy player came in, got off to a decent start, went out on loan to Arsenal Tula, and then since he's came back, he's just he's mentally all over the place. And I think sometimes people forget how much pressure there is on some of these younger players playing for a club Bartak's size. Seeing the criticism online and the sheer amount of it, the quantity of it that they must get on a weekly basis is huge. And he's mm-hmm. not only shouldered that, but is relishing in the performances at the moment. What I like about the under twenty ones at the moment, and one of which is is a large part of that is the coach galactianov I think galactianov is is an excellent unders coach in the in the youth teams. But in in his press conference, it was really nice after the game that. He said that it's it's important for us that the guys did not get confused, but tried to perform the correct actions in attack, in defence, and in pressure in certain zones. I think we have succeeded in, and are succeeding. As for the organisation of actions, we played quite confidently today. There were some points that could be implemented and some that can be changed. A historically, good victory, but crucially, the cycle is currently ahead. Now, I think he means they they are ahead of the cycle i think that's just a little bit of a bad trans translation but i really like how Galaktionov speaks in cycles it reminds me of when we interviewed larin when he was at Chitanova yeah, yeah, and how he spoke of of the development of the process and i thought i think that was really key to why he's such a good under 21s coach
1: yeah I, that's an interesting i hadn't heard that quote um mm-hmm. but yeah to to have it described as you know The cycle, you know, presumably their life cycle in the other ones being another year or so until this tournament is over. I don't don't know at what point the rules change, and it'll be players born before two thousand and first and the first two thousand and one. I don't know when the when the rules change. I presume this group will be allowed to see out the tournament that they're qualifying for, um, and it will change then. But yeah, I mean they're. It's been it's a good group. It, the squad's not changed heavily throughout mm-hmm. uh, the qualifying period. Um, the only the only big changes are affected by whoever's been called up for the seniors, um, and they they're not dipping too far with the with age. The only young player who's been in the under uh, twenty one squad with younger players is Tukarvin and Zakarian. All the rest are, I believe, twenty and twenty one. They're not dipping too much into the younger groups be uh, your Pinyayevs or your Sokolovs or whoever else from from the younger groups who might warrant a call-up to, to this group. They're keeping this group together. They're rewarding players of the correct ages with call-ups like Kuzmichov from Rural. From he wasn't in the squad until uh, I think the October fixtures was his first time in the squad. And he started against Spain because Litvinov wasn't playing. He was either suspended or injured. And uh, and he was excellent at the back uh, against uh, against Spain, yeah. also Prokin, and that's a player who's been rewarded for his good form in the league for Oral, for an Oral team who are rock bottom, by the way. Um, so yeah, it's it's a good group, and Murov. I mean, I just that that game I, after that match, I was convinced that you know this he can definitely go and play in a big league. Like he was undoubtedly the best player on the pitch. And I was like thinking, if some of these guys are playing in La Liga for Spain. The whole, the whole centre midfield of Spain played in La Liga. Two of them, I think, were from to and The were other one, from top Bilbao. as well, which and Sanset or Sanchez. I don't know. He say his name can be well. I know he's a very highly rated player. Was was exactly the the guy from Sasi was Turrientes, I remember. And I just thought Umirov... Undoubtedly, here has the <laughs> is good enough to play alongside the these guys in the league. Based on this performance, like he was that good, um, he was just in absolute total control. And the quote from Galatiano there about the confidence of their actions. When you said that, was like, yeah, they really were. Like every pass was played. Mm-hmm. There was a bit of swagger about them playing out from the back on occasions. It was it was uh, it was a really really impressive performance, all, all round. You know, all, all the team. Even the, the guys from Arsenal, Stepanov and Klusevich down the left, they, they worked incredibly hard. And uh, Klusevich and Stepanov <laughs> were pretty good too down that side. Um, so, yeah, it's a, it's a nice group and it's nice to be distracted from the seniors' failures um, and look at another young group. You know, the last under-21s group, we, yeah, we I think we're naming the
0: golden That's generation. part of the reason so why, to juxtapose just some well topics so far is why we've had that reaction, is because people are actively seeing Russia's results and more so performances and approach to the game and comparing them to the under-21 side, who not only beat Spain, but did so in a convincing manner, playing the correct, in quotation marks, correct way. And that's why people could directly compare. I think it was just today... I think I read it. It was, I think it was earlier today that I read. I'm not quite sure when the quote is from, but it was, um, Mostavoy, Alexander Mostovoy, who was claiming that it, try not to compare these two sides because it's two different beasts, two totally different animals. While all he was, he was actually asked about the under 21s and trying to, and he was asked his opinion and he, he, he heaped praise upon them. But he then did go on to say, is try not to compare because. Like you said, the last generation was what was largely termed as in the Russian press as the golden generation of the under-20s and 21s, but not many of them have yet to make a real step up on a regular basis, considering it's the golden generation, in quotation marks again. So it, it is impossible to compare them. Just enjoy the fact that the unders are playing well and getting good results, rather than compare the two. Just try and enjoy it while we can. To move on from the under 21s. Uh, the under 19s played three matches yeah. in the international break. Uh, first of all, they beat Greece 1 0. That was courtesy of a young Yaroslav Gladyshev goal. They beat Germany, then 3 1 away. Uh, I don't think it was in Germany, was it? Uh, that was Go- Greece, that was it, I think. Uh, Sokolov, Gladyshev and Baglintsev. And no, then all, all the games Faroe the Islands East, 5-0, Bagrinsev, uh, Pinyayev double, Gladyshev, and a late Savitsky goal. So for those, I think everyone's probably recognised quite a few of the names there. And it's not often we discuss the under-19s on the pods and not, and probably even less often that there's quite a, a large amount of highly recognisable names in the under nineteen squad. But they're kind of continuing the tradition right now of highly performing under's teams
1: yeah i mean the the result against germany was the big eye rail raiser um you know i i had not looked too strongly into it i just assumed that it was going to be a team that germany were going to win because it's germany you know And I I don't know how strong... I looked through the squad and some of those players are playing for Germany regularly in second Bundesliga. A couple of them have Bundesliga experience um, from their under-19 squad. Some of them are in the third tier. So it's a mixed bag um, of experiences there. Uh, One of the guys, as I recall, one of the center is was starting regularly for Darmstadt. Um, And the Russian team is similarly... a, a. Mixed but surprisingly experienced for, the, for that age group team. Um, you've, in the team that started against Germany, for example, you have uh, Melikin, uh Sokolov and Gladyshev. That's four players who have all played in the Premier League this season. Torop and Bagrinsev, uh have played for Siska's first team of the Cup this season. Lykin and Shaikdinov and Shitov have all played for Spartak 2 and FNL regularly this season. Mikhailov plays for Schalke in the second Bundesliga uh, most weeks. And the other player is off who's just moved over to Villarreal's uh, youth academy. And on the bench, you then have a couple players like Pinyayev and the other Sheetov, um, who obviously, you know, Pinyayev playing regularly in the Premier League. So it's it's a really experienced squad um, for this age group in terms of where they're currently playing their football, at what level. Um, and yeah, they, they went out and beat Germany 3-1 um uh, Gladyshev who just made his league debut for Dino a couple of weeks ago off the bench uh, when they beat they beat someone like 4-0 when he came on late on I think it was Arsenal or, or no it was against Kimki he made his debut and uh yeah he we know he's been a bit prolific for the youth teams over the last couple of years but he looked very good uh, in these fixtures uh he's currently topping the contributions charts for the whole of qualifying for these uh under 19 euros, which is what they're qualified for, um, and there are multiple groups uh, in this qualifying stage. And he's got three goals and three assists so far um, throughout these three games, but yeah, it's uh, it's more good news for for this group. And you know, this group are one to definitely watch considering at what level they're playing their football. Um, based on what we said before, I'm not expecting any of these to jump up a level. Um, it will probably depend on Gladyshev, whether he starts to get into the Dynamo first team, whether he gets a look in potentially uh, anymore, and then whether Chukavin maybe moves up a step to the seniors. Um, but there are other strikers available at the, at the under twenty one level who might surpass them. But um, yeah, a really exciting group. You know, impressive qualifying. Um, you know, yeah. When you think back to the famous teams. Uh, the goal of the team, I think it was the under 17s, right? Who won the world cup or the Euros back in 2013. Um, yeah, you look at a group like this group who have just beaten Germany, who surely would be one of the favorites for such a competition. You think, wow, maybe, maybe this group of players, uh, have got the potential to, to, um, to do the same. Um, so yeah, it'll be interesting to watch them carry on. Um, you know, the sheet of twins. I wonder at what stage maybe they they start appearing on Spartak benches um, in the future. Obviously, still very young, and they're getting regular. Football It'll be bit.
0: sooner rather than later. Spartak looking at, at the, so maybe the depth of Spartak but... squad when you're still yeah, getting Yashenka a, a very wage to wander out and his crutch and give people good morale. But um, <laughs> finish off the international stint coverage by just mentioning that the playoffs, the draw for yeah. the playoffs are next Friday as of recording that's the 26th of November um we global football it's at we underscore global I think they do a, a qualifying projection and have updated this in a on a monthly basis a weekly basis after every set of games as things stand of course 13 teams have qualified um what I don't quite understand is why Iran are looking very strong to qualify, haven't yet qualified, but have got 100% odds. That doesn't quite add up. Um, But anyway, Russia are 41st on their list with a 28% chance of qualification. And they have not projected Russia to reach the World Cup because of the... Essentially because of the difficulty of the draw after Italy and Portugal being relegated into the playoffs. Um, So let's hope that that is wrong. Uh, It is, of course, only a projection. It's just hopefully you can give people a little bit of an idea. Um, I mean, it covers pretty much anyone all the way back to Tonga and 74th who have got a 0% chance. (laughs) But let's move on to RPL matters. We will quickly discuss a few RPL games because we obviously uh, recorded during the last weekend of uh, round 14 fixtures. Uh, to cover quickly the results, Arsenal 0, Ufa 0, Dinamo 1, Krasnodar 0, Krilia 3, yep. Himke 0, Sochi 4, Siska 1, Ural Zenit 0-0, nil, nil. Rostov 5, Rubin 1, Akmat 3, Nizhny 1, and Loko Spartak was another one-all draw as well. Uh, I'm going to quickly mention two things. First of all, Matteo Cassiera. I think it would be remiss not to mention him. I think we actually did last time we recorded. uh, It was was talking about how good he is. But after that, immediately after that, he absolutely tore Siska apart, got... uh, assisted RTU Super for the opening goal and then scored two more and then assisted Igor Yaganov for the last goal of the game. Uh, So two goals and two assists against Siska. And that takes his tally now to... Four goals and two assists in his last two games. Taking it beyond that, six goals and three assists in his last five games. Seven goals for the season, three assists for the season. He's own, He's got a scoring frequency of every 101 minutes in the league. He's just made a real quality difference to that Sochi side. And is one of the reasons why they are second and only three points behind Zenit. Absolutely brilliant last week as well. Yeah. Just stats aside, it's easy to get caught up in the statistics because when you look at his, they are phenomenal. But he completely and utterly tore Suska a new one. Deveev, I think you said, David, Deveev was excellent against Croatia for the large part, against Andre Kramaric, who's a high-quality European footballer. Cassiera tore him and Djaka Bijal apart. I mean, just last week, Richard, again, um, praised Bijal for his performances, moving to an unfamiliar position, and really making it his own, and being one of the uh, being a leader in the defence alongside Devere that Siska have missed. Cassierra tore them an absolute new one. He was he really was a class above. His goals were excellent. The interplay and the the assist for Yusupov very clever football. Just a player playing v- very intelligently, and still only twenty four as well. Um, Ural-Zenit. Ural got a point at home to Zenit, holding them out with a real nice defensive performance. Some of the Russian youngsters at the back in Kuzmichev and Adamov with excellent performances again. Um, Adamov was my personal man of the match, but I think it was Augustinjak, Rafael yak who actually got it in the end. Unfortunately, the game... Was largely uh, well. Ural's job was. Uh, let's not take it away from Ural. Their job was made a lot easier by Claudinho's red card, which is a horrific decision, like truly horrific decision. Um, I think when I first seen the when I first seen it back again in a, in a like a slower replay, watching it live, I was like, "What the hell did he do?" I was I was totally like oblivious by it. And then when I watched it back again, Malcolm's looks like the the worst foul out of the two. And even that's just a standard, slightly slightly late tackle. It's just unbelievable that Claudinho got a straight red card for the, an innocuous coming together. R- absolutely wild, but I don't want to take away from Ural's performance. Uh, the left-hand side, um, Leo Gaglachica and then Kirill Kolesnichenka providing a very strong screen in front of him. Really good, kept... Karavaev and Asmoon and Wendell and Claudinho peeling off to the right, quiet all game. And that combination of Wendell and Claudinho has been what's made Zenit tick over the last one, this season, I suppose, in general. Um, when they peel off, Claudinho has that free reign to allow Asmoon and Zuba in behind and putting the push up high. They were, they were excellent. Absolutely nothing came down the left-hand side, so Credit to Ural defending far better. Uh, Shalimov has came in and made an impact in sorting out that defence, which was her- genuinely horrific under Parfionov at times. Uh, it's just the the problem now is the other end of the pitch because they've got five goals in fourteen games, which is very Ural. They've needed a striker for a long time, and they look they kind of deserve it because their continued ignorance to the plight of not realising that you need to score goals and wanting to rely on a 58-year-old Eric McFalvey is just, I find it wild. He, was, he does the odd bit of brilliance. He was excellent four years ago. He's been past it for some time now, and this season is really starting to show. David, is there anyone or any games and goals, people, players, performances in particular that you want to... Mention, uh, I'll, we'll let you off with not often to mention Ruben. <laughs> <laughs> Cheers.
1: Uh, I think we, we should mention Kyrillia, who are currently sixth uh, with 22 points. Just one behind Siska, three behind Loco, ahead of Krasnar, Ruben, Spartak. Um, another win this this time 3-0 against Kim who are obviously relegation fodder at this point um really doing well after their after the weak start of the season um you know their their uh, more extravagant style of football that we thought or we wondered whether it would work coming up from the Feneal hat has worked um they've kept the good core of their squad together and um they're getting good results. Um, you know, not necessarily flashy, you know, they're not getting, you know, is not a huge goal scorer, but um, the goals are coming from multiple positions, multiple players in the squad. Zinkovsky's playing well, Yezhov's playing well, uh, Gorshkov is playing well, Lomaev's playing well, you know, the whole the whole squad is putting together some good performances. And, you know, they are, as much as we might not have thought it they are contending right now for the european spot so no we're not even halfway through the season but you know if on the form that they're carrying at the moment they're they're going to be contending for it you know they're not out of yeah you know, they're only three points off them at the moment so definitely not out of contention and i think Osinkin was, was given manager of the month um uh, last month as i as I recall so much deserved um and it's it's nice to to see that happening um Rastadar lost mm, to Dina and then there was rumours which which I found interesting there were rumours that Goncharenko might be sacked um, which what I found was interesting about that was that I, I remember being told a quote possibly by you on the pod that Galitski had given him full confidence to play however he wanted to do and I was like so and wouldn't basically sack him at all no matter what as long as they play good football which they have been playing uh, better football this season so i found that odd that there was rumors surrounding that and you know you you take them with a pinch of salt but at the same time when it comes to those kind of stories there's also no smoke without fire so it does make you wonder maybe if something's going on there um because they, they consistently consistency is the big the big thing crushing them this season you know they're they're only mm. one point behind clearly in seventh, but one one week they'll be excellent, and the next week they'll be dreadful. Cordova's form has dipped as well the last few weeks. Um, not been so good over the last couple of games. Um, they really got to try and do something with their with their defense. Still, Spajic has been in and out of the team. Sorokin and, and Kai, obviously. Um, Speak for themselves, although I, you know I did talk them up. They had a very good performance a couple of weeks back. Um, so, yeah, those, those are the two teams. Sort of, that I that I wanted to bring bring a point to um, obviously that Oreal, Arsenal uh, Arsenal, struggling at the bottom. But the, the the relegation, I think I talked about this on the other pod with uh, RTM and Hally on the WTI. The biggest gap between any two teams in the league is three mm-hmm. points. Currently, there, there's no gap that's formed. You know, like the, the, the RPL, at some point there's usually a gap. Uh, usually it's either the relegation group are split off or the top six are split off. Currently, if you go to, through the league, the biggest gap is between first and second, which is three points. As you then go down the table, it's two points or one point between the whole rest of the league, right down to the last place. So um, very, tight, very tightly uh, put together league this season um so nothing's decided nothing's decided not even relegation you know for 12th and out of the relegation spots but they're only three points off bottom um so yeah it's it's, it's going to be a very important few games here coming up to the winter break um especially you know with spring and teams usually struggling to get going in spring a lot of them um other teams turning their seasons around you know we we saw Loco do it last year with some incredible spring form coming through. So, um, yeah, some important fixtures coming up. We know Zenit tend to struggle in these fixtures this November period. So we'll see how they get on. Who have they got? They've got Nizhny. Then they've got Sisker away. And then they've got Rostov at home. Yeah, certainly. Dinamo Just quickly away, on, a big
0: one. on Cordoba. So yeah, uh, like obviously started the season like a house on fire with five goals and two assists in his first six games. Since then, one assist and zero goals in, in eight. So a little bit, um, I say a little bit, quite a large and worrying drop in form, drop-off in form there. Uh, when I've seen the rumours of Koncharenka sacking, it was part, I think it was, I guess it was, it was a tweet, so a huge pinch of salt. It was someone saying that he had a falling out with Cordoba and that's why he didn't start against Dynamo. But like, I don't know if that's just someone being a little bit casually racist and kind of blaming the new foreigner who's just came in and stopped scoring goals. It's it's a very easy assumption to make. So high pinch of salt on that one. It's It could potentially be absolute bollocks, but it's it's no doubt that Koncherenka is under pressure with the... Inconsistent form there, but I think it was—I think I was myself who read that too. I remember reading that Galietski supports him no matter what, and we all know Galietski—he's not exactly a man to make snap decisions. like how long it took him to sack Misayev and Shalimov, and he did he even sack Messiah in the end? There's still the lack of clarity, and that regarding of Masayev decided just to resign himself—I can't—I can't quite remember now. But we've got a spate of fixtures again this weekend: Zenit Nizhny. Krylia Ural, uh, Loko Akmat, Krasnodar Spartak, Siska Himke, Rostov Ufa, Dinamo Arsenal, and Sochi Rubin. Uh, To quickly also finish off the pod, mid-week next week at the time of recording is the next set of European fixtures. Zenit travelled to Malmo on the Tuesday in what is probably going to be the decider for or should be anyway, they decide for who qualifies through to the Europa League knockout stages. Uh, Spartak hosts Napoli, needing anything from that result, especially at home as they currently lie bottom of their group. And Lokomotiv also hosts Lazio, again with an even more desperate need as they they lie bottom of, of their respective group with just two points from four games so far. This has been the Russian Football News Podcast will be back at the usual time next week. Goodbye for now. Веди его, беги, точнее его ударь, Но мяч берет ноги решительный правда, Не напрасно в футбольное поле Самых ловких и
1: смелых
0: плечок. Здесь нужны тренировка и воля, Быстро, увлечение расчет.